that work? Am I on? Okay, we're in Second Samuel, going through the Old Testament, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Second Samuel this evening. Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. Second Samuel chapter six. Okay, before we begin, let's let's pray. Father, we just ask, Lord God, that uh, you would help us, Lord, put you just at the center of our uh, center of our lives, Lord. I pray that you would just readjust our compass, realign our hearts, Lord God, and minds, and and Lord, we know that's your word that does that. And Father, I just uh, pray, uh, Lord, and acknowledge, uh, just on behalf of any uh, of everyone here, Lord, we came here uh, to change, Lord. We don't want to walk out the same. And we we thank you, Lord, that your word promises that that never need be so, Lord. So, Father, I just uh, just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd bless this word. In his name I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, if anyone needs, by the way, if anyone needs a map to the picnic, we have them back there. I understand there's a big stack. Uh, so if you need that, uh, please, uh, please pick one up. Okay, Second Samuel uh, chapter 6. So uh, just a brief review of where we've been. David is now king. Uh, we just seemed like for uh, the longest time, uh, it, it seemed like because it really was, uh, David was in uh, very much of a wilderness experience. Uh, it was not unlike, the, in, in a way, the experience of uh, the Jews uh, after they had fled Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, he, he was in the wilderness being chased after Saul for about 10 years. Uh, the difference was that uh, the Jews in the wilderness, they were really in a constant state of rebellion. Not really David, except at the very end when he leaves Israel, goes into the land of the Philistines. Uh, but the Lord was testing him, and the Lord was uh, changing his heart, and the Lord was pruning him uh, in, in, in such a big way. Uh, uh, pruning him, and, and, and pruning really, really hurts sometimes. You know, John 15 talks about pruning. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And uh, I've been thinking about that uh, uh, recently. I have a, uh, uh, a guy that uh, I've shared with you that I have some back issues, and I have a guy who I go to uh, uh, for massage, and this isn't like the massage like, ah, right? This is deep tissue massage. And man, that guy, I mean, he, 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 when he gets, you know, he'll feel in, he goes, so does it hurt here? And I go, well, yeah, that hurts. He goes, good. And he goes, and I'm like, ah, you know, this type of thing. And I walked out of his office last week, and there was a guy uh, waiting. He goes, oh, wow, you just finished with Eric, and you're still standing, huh? I mean, wow. And that really is kind of like it is. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, 
that's what pruning's like. Because as, as painful as this is, uh, spending an hour with this guy, it really um, has uh, uh, helped uh, some of the issues that I have with, with my back. And uh, pruning's like that. And David spent 10 years uh, being pruned in the wilderness, being chased by Saul, was trying to, to kill him. And, uh, but finally, uh, he uh, is made king. Uh, here at the beginning of, of 2 Samuel, and one of the most amazing turn of events in, in the history uh, of, uh, really, of, of, of the world. Uh, in the, at the end of 1 Samuel, he literally lost everything. Everything was burned to the ground, uh, and his wives were stolen from him, and his uh, uh, friends were going to, uh, wanted to uh, kill him, to stone him, and... Uh, uh, he went from that to not only getting back everything that he lost, but actually becoming king, and, and such a picture uh, of the mercy of God. And so, uh, uh, what does he do uh, the, the, for the first thing? And, and this really just uh, made such an impact on me as I really uh, studied it and meditated upon it and, and prepared. And ch- in chapter 6, we read uh, that he... Uh, his first really act as king to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, back uh, or to Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 1 of chapter 6, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bale Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And so, uh, here he is, uh, in, in, and we're going to be reading a number of things of, of why J- David is called by God. Not, not, he was given this name, not by people, but by God. He was a, a man after God's own heart. And, and here's one of the reasons. He's making, he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into public life. It had been st- uh, stowed away in some guy's house for 40 years, and you never hear a thing about it when Saul is in power. Never hear a thing about the Ark. Uh, and it's because that though Saul was pretty good at his outward religion... He did the sacrifices, and he went to church or temple, or, or, or it didn't have a temple then, but uh, uh, he, he, he did sacrifices from, from time to time and, you know, before a battle. But, but he hadn't brought the, the, the ark in, into the center of public life. And, and so, uh, but what we read uh, last week is that uh, David, he's bringing the ark to Jerusalem, and um, all the mighty men... Uh, of the country are there. He had uh, brought the leaders of the whole country there, and there was all this worship going on. And uh, but they were bringing it in a cart, and there was the guy who was carrying, helped carrying the cart. When the cart almost stumbled, he reached out and touched the ark, and immediately he died. Uh, and and it says that David feared God that day. He was also it says he was angry at God uh, that day, and. Uh, he was very, very confused. Now we find out from uh, First Chronicles that uh, what happened, and, and that was he hadn't been uh, bringing the ark uh, in the right way. Uh, the The book of Leviticus was very, very specific that the ark was supposed to be uh, carried on poles, carried by the, a certain class of priests, and 
hadn't been done. And so uh, David does an amazing thing. He, uh, he, he noted, they, they put the ark in the, the house of this guy named Obed-Edom. That is, you know, after Uzzah's killed, they said, okay, let's stop this whole thing. And, and they put the ark in, in, in the house of this guy. And a tradition, by the way, uh, says this guy Obed-Edom was the janitor, the facilities manager uh, of that area of, 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 or in his village or something like that. It's like, oh, no, no one wants this thing. Why don't we give it to the, uh, to the janitor or whatever? But that what happens is his house is just tremendously blessed. And, 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 and everyone's saying, well, wait a second. Uh, why are we giving this to the janitor? You know, I want it. And so, but anyway, so David goes and, and he gets the, um, the ark. And this time he does it right. Uh, and, and to me, this, this is, again, uh, uh, such a testimony of the humility of David, why his life in so many respects is a life that we need to emulate uh, because uh, many of us would have said, I'm never doing that to the Lord again. You know, I want to do a good work for the Lord. What, look what he did for me. And, uh, and, but that's not what happened. Uh, he, he recognized, actually he repented is what he did. He said, you know, I was mad at God. I was angry. I was afraid of him. But really, the issue was not with him. It was with me. I didn't obey the word of God. I wasn't obedient to the word of God. And so we learned that uh, worship is great. And, but just because worship is sincere doesn't make worship right. Worship has to be done in the right way. And so, uh, anyway, so we read in verse 12 there. It says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So every six steps, they had a new sacrifice. Uh, Pretty amazing thing. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. In other words, he was basically uh, always wearing his, his, his undergarment. And so he was humbling himself. So David and all the house of the Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And it says, And now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling. And so he, this guy, he's, he's worshiping big time. And so, uh, again, the Lord calls David a man after God's own heart. And, and a big piece of any man or woman who is a man or woman after God's own heart is they they got to be worshipers. they got to be worshipers. Jesus told the woman at the well that the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and they got to be worshipers. And... Uh, a big piece of, of seeking God's heart is, is worship. And, and God loves it when we pour out our hearts and minds uh, to Him. You know, when I've been crushed by the world or I've been crushed by the devil, there's nothing I like more than coming in Sunday morning or Sunday evening and just being blessed. Just being blessed uh, by by the worship and, and just uh, sort of crying out to God and 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 uh, 
again, uh, you know, why, why would Jesus say something like, you know, the Lord, the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth? Well, it's because worship connects us with God in a way that is unique from anything else. It really does. Uh, the Bible says uh, God, uh, he inhabits the praise of his people. He inhabits the praise of his, his people. We connect with him in such a unique way uh, when uh, during worship. And uh, I, I, it's one of the reasons I so appreciate uh, Calvary Chapel. When, I started, when we started in a church after becoming a Christian, I, I, you know, I'm telling you, uh, I, I, it, in many respects, a wonderful, wonderful church. But let me tell you, if you when you looked around during worship, I mean, it's like these people had been baptized in lemon juice. I mean, it, it was they, they were not looking happy, okay, during worship. It's like, let me get out of let me get this thing out of the way so I can listen to the sermon. That's what it was like. And and I had never really uh experienced what real real worship was until um on a regular basis until uh I I I found a, a Calvary Chapel about uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And so, uh, and, and, and many, many churches uh, have wonderful worship uh, in them. It's certainly not just uh, Calvary Chapel. Many, many do. And, and the ones that do are really putting God as the focus. Uh, the, what, what do we learn about uh, uh, David's worship here? God was the focus. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where uh, God told Moses... I will meet you there. That's what God said to Moses. I will meet you there. Not that God uh, sort of lived inside that box. Um, actually, uh, the presence of the Lord was above the Ark of the Covenant. It was between the cherubim. And inside there was the, the stone tablets and Aaron's rod and there's a couple other things in there. I think some, was it some manna? I can't remember. But, but uh, the point was is that that's where you know God was raising Israel up, and he, he went to dwell in the midst of them for the first time, really, since the Garden of Eden. And he was raising up a, a, a people and and being in their midst. And and so David is going bananas here, basically, because uh, because God was there. So God was the focus of the worship. The, the, the motive for worship is really one thing. It, it's God. He is worthy. And, and notice how we began here in verse 2. It says of, of the Lord, it says, Bring the ark of the Lord whose name is called by the name. And what is the name? Well, God is, the name is who God is. Unlike other gods who have names like uh, Dagon and Baal and Ashtoreth and things like that. You, you can't put like a name on God like Bob or Bill or Sue. I mean, God is who he is. And, and what does that mean? Merciful, uh, powerful, uh, and uh, uh, he, he's, he's holy. And, and he's, uh, he's also a, a jealous God in a holy way. And, and he's, a, he's love. And so uh, that's the, the, the focus of the worship uh, is on him. Now, when we worship, 
Are we sort of, is there going to be a feeling there? Are there going to be warm fuzzies uh, during worship? Well, uh, many times, yes, but that's not uh, the reason we do it. In many places, the worship's all about the experience. You hear about, uh, uh, or sometimes go to these big worship extravaganzas, and, and, you know, people are leaving going, whoa, man, that was, like, incredible, ooh, you know. It's like, well, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, is God going, ooh? I mean, did God, was God blessed by it? Or, or else sometimes you, you'll hear someone, and, and you guys have heard me say this, well, you know, I, I really didn't think the worship was, was that good. And it's like, well, oh, really? Well, did you happen to ask God what he thought of the worship? I mean, because that's what's important. And, and, so, um, and, and, and so worship, uh, it, the focus needs to be on God. I remember one experience I had before a Bible study sometime, one time, and uh, a long time ago, wasn't, wasn't uh, around here, but uh, we played a CD for the worship time before, and, and I remember this one guy saying, after, after we played the CD, he goes, that was the best worship I've ever had, this guy, and which is great. I'm glad he had a great worship. But within a, a short period of time, this same guy during the Bible study was practically yelling at a woman in the Bible study because he disagreed with, there was some doctrinal thing, they had a disagreement, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I really question his worship experience because guess what? Worship should sober us up because, you know, pro, what pride, the reason for, uh, the Bible says the reason for bickering amongst ourselves is what? It's, it's pride and selfish ambition, and, and, and when we worship, it should sober up that pride. It should make us, uh, you know, it, it should really focus us in on the Lord. And, and it should really be, we should be thinking about how small we are uh, after a worship uh, and, and not sort of how, how, how big and holy we are. So, um, uh, but anyway, you know, we see here something that may confuse uh, people. It's, it's David. It says that he's uh, leaping and whirling in, in verse 16. Leaping and whirling. And, and so it, that uh, sort of leads to the question, well, uh, is there, are there any, like, guidelines? Should be, we be leaping and whirling uh, during, during uh, the worship service? And I listened uh, uh, to uh, a sermon about a, this, this pastor where a guy came up to him after the service and, and told him, you know, judgment's going to come on this church because you put too many restrictions on your worship. And the, the pastor asked the guy, he said, so, well, do you think there's any guidelines at all? And the guy said, no, there should be no guidelines whatsoever on worship. Well, uh, really interesting because actually the uh, Holy Spirit disagrees. In 1 Corinthians 14, it makes it very clear, as clear as it could possibly be, that it, during a worship service, you, where, where, where there's a gathering of unbelie- unbelievers will be there and maybe people not used to your, your, your family, uh, the, such as our, our morning service, uh, that speaking in tongues should not occur. It, it's right there as clear as it could be. Uh, and, and, and then it goes on and it says that there should be order in the service. And, and why is the reason given by the Apostle Paul? It's so the unbeliever doesn't say these people are insane and run out of the church. I mean, that's a we're, we're, you know, worship service. Part of the reason is to 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 bring in lost souls and get them saved. Uh, and so, anyway, there is a time for whirling and swirling and, and dancing, and it's at James and Guillermo's house. Um, <laughs> go over there; they do all kinds of stuff like that uh, um, for worship. Uh, uh, anyway, speak to James if you're interested in that. But 
But uh, no, seriously, there are there there can be settings where uh, that is appropriate. But there are guidelines. But nevertheless, as you see from David, uh, there needs to be uh, uh, there does need to be freedom, a certain freedom. There needs to be balance, balance uh, in a worship service. So uh, anyway, so David sacrificing, uh, verse thirteen, every six steps. Now. he, he was uh, sacrificing their uh, fatted sheep and oxen. And uh, we know that uh, when Jesus uh, was crucified, it says the veil uh, uh, in the temple was ripped in two, uh, meaning that the veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies was eliminated. So we can go right in without making a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, right into the Holy of Holies, Anywhere we are, don't need to be in a church building, and uh, we can worship God. That's true. But in a sense, uh, worship today still requires sacrifice. Uh, you know, just just uh, getting to church uh, can be a costly thing. You know, today a lot of times they pay double uh, the amount of money if you work on Sunday. Or uh, a lot of times they, they don't respect at all uh, when... You, you go to church with, at your job. They're like, you know, I'm sorry, uh, you got to work on Sunday. Uh, my son Sam uh, has has really wanted to play football, and uh, he hasn't been able to because up here, which uh, it, it's funny because it would never happen in the Bible Belt, but it happens up here in a more uh, in an area which is a more of a Catholic community where they have mass on Saturday uh, nights, but they don't. Um, they, they have football games on Sunday morning, so Sam has, has been unable to play. Now, I'm not necessarily making a judgment about that as much as saying that if you're a Christian, you've got to sacrifice. You've you, you got to sacrifice. You can't short shrift worship. Uh, and and I, I don't know how many times I've had to tell people who say, I can't go to church because I work on Sunday. Well, you know, at some point, you need to think about going to your employer and saying, I, I, gotta, I go to church. I'm a Christian. And I know that's a, a humbling thing for, for, you know, it can be a humbling thing, but that's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord wants. You know, David, we're going to see at a later time when he's buying up uh, uh, ground for the temple. The guy who wants to sell, uh, the guy who has the ground says, well, just take it for free. And David says, no, I am not going to give to the Lord that which causes me or buy for the Lord that which cause, uh, costs me nothing. And, and, you know, it's the same thing. Even for church, it's costly to go to church. It's costly to go to Bible study uh, or a home fellowship or women's prayer or, or the men's prayer. Now there's prayer on Wednesday night. It's a costly thing to do that, but it blesses the Lord. It blesses the Lord. Uh, and I love that, um, I, I love that, um, uh, that, that uh, statement of David. I'm not, I'm not going to get something for the Lord that which causes me nothing. And I think of Buddy who uh, went to be with the Lord. He was about 70 years old. He got saved a couple of years ago. And I remember speaking, his, his lungs, he had that um, illness, pulmonary fibrosis, is that it? Uh, which uh, scar tissue would, would go around his, uh, his lungs and it prohibited him from breathing. And so it got more and more difficult uh, for him to uh, come to church. And uh, I remember talking with him uh, during the last times he was coming. 
And I mean, he would be coming in here uh, uh, like this, and, and, and he was like, but I just got to come here. I just, I can't stay at home. And, and, and you know something? That blessed the Lord. Now, eventually, he couldn't come. Uh, and, and that is completely to be expected. But it was just such a blessing uh, to be able to do his funeral. It was just such a blessing. Uh, we had about 30 people there from the church, and it was just a tremendous testimony. His life was a testimony. I got to tell you what. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, so uh, the worship and, and just the, the importance uh, of worship. And so it says in verse 16 that when Michael saw this, uh, it says at the end there, she despised him in her heart. And then it, it says in verse 20, when David returned to bl- uh, bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to, to David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Uncovering himself today in, in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Uh, and so wherever there is true worship, there will be someone who's offended. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line here is David's worship embarrassed her. Uh, she wanted to be in respectable society. And, and you know, you're not going to impress the world by worshiping. You're not going to do that. It's, it's like, what's up with these people? Um, they're raising their hands, uh, and they can't even see who they're raising their hands to, and they're singing to someone who they can't see. Uh, that's weird to an unbeliever. And so uh, uh, you're not going to impress uh, the world uh, through uh, worship. And uh, then it goes on to say, uh, that David says in verse 21, he says to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose uh, me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. And therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And so, no worship brings forth barrenness. No worship will bring forth barrenness in your life. Uh, if you feel like you're, you're drying up in your worship, you need to really seek the Lord because it will indeed do that. So, chapter 7, let's move on. Now, it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent uh, tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of the Lord, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I have commanded to shepherd my, my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so here we see that I, I, I just love these, these seven passages. You know, this really, really, this is why we study the Word of God, to get to know God. You know, God is perfectly comfortable 
being worshipped, you know, out underneath a tree somewhere in the middle of a field as he is in a cathedral. He doesn't need buildings. He doesn't need cathedrals. And it's perfectly acceptable to worship him in a conference center of a hotel. Uh, and so uh, David, though, uh, is in a palace by this point. And the Ark of the Covenant, which, again, sort of represented the presence of the Lord and the temple, the, 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 not the temple, but the, the, the worship and the sacrifices, you, you, you know, they, they brought that uh, activity there. And so David's thinking to himself, you know, here on one hand is my big palace, and I'm just a guy. And here next to me in this uh, small little dwelling, because the Ark of the Covenant, if you look at the, if you look at the whole thing with the tabernacle in, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, it's very small. It's a very, very small thing. Uh, I think it's not much bigger like, than half this room, maybe a little longer. And, uh, and David's like, what's wrong with this picture? And, and so, again, motives, uh, very, very good motives. He went to Nathan. And, uh, uh, and, and this, again, uh, really shows his heart. Now, at this time, uh, materially, he was doing very, very well. Uh, Josephus says that uh, he was a billionaire. Of course, Josephus didn't use... I don't think he used he didn't use that term, but uh, but uh, he was very very wealthy at this point, and spiritually the country was also doing very very well. Uh, David had actually instituted an order. You'll see this in First Chronicles, an order of of priests that the Lord was being um, ministered to 24 hours a day. He had 4,000 musicians on staff. He had 40,000 temple guards, and and so uh, but all this worship happened in a tent. David's like, what's up with this? You know, we've got to change this. And, uh, uh, and so he does. He goes to uh, Nathan the prophet. And, uh, this is the first time we hear about Nathan. He uh, was, is going to play a big role in, in David's life, and he was sort of a spiritual sounding board. It's always nice when you're the king to have someone around you that tells the truth because usually when you're a king, no one tells you the truth. They just say yes, 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 yes. And, uh, uh, and he... He says to David, do all that is in your, in your heart for the Lord is with you. Interesting here that um, he didn't get it right. And why did he say that? Well, he knew David's heart. His motives were right. And he's probably thinking, is this a sinful thing to do? No. Does it violate scripture? No. Go for it. But then, uh, in, you know, I think what happens is he has a complete lack of peace and, and the Lord starts to speak to him. And you know, the bottom line is this. Only pagan gods need temples. Uh, our Lord, our God, the God of the universe is like the apostle, not the apostle, the, I guess you would say the martyr Stephen said before he was martyred and he was t- uh, talking to the Sanhedrin. He's like, you know, you can't put the God of the universe and stuff him into a temple. You can't do that. He, and he, he, the God can't be contained uh, by a building. And... Uh, and, and so he is, uh, he's telling David this. And, and, you know, one of the things that we need to realize in our life is that God has the right to say no. He has the right to say no, even when we present to him something, a prayer request that's perfectly reasonable or a desire that may on its face seem to be just something that 
is really, really honorable and really, really godly. God has the right to do that. And, uh, and uh, you know, there, there is teaching out there today that uh, you hear in certain circles and in churches that you know, basically God has to say yes if you have enough faith and you, and you, you can basically, faith, you, you can believe God and do a yes answer. But that's not true. And, and also that's very arrogant and that's very prideful. God has the right to say no. He, he said no. Uh, we see him saying no twice to the Apostle Paul. Uh, once when Paul was trying to get that thorn, whatever that was, may have been an illness, may have been something else, God said no. When Paul wanted to go into this one part of Asia, he was blocked. God said no. And that's God's prerogative. And, you know, this is a hard thing to do for us when God says no. God heal me. No. That's not my will for your life. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to uh, accept. But I think that uh, what we have to understand is, and, and learn from this whole thing, is look how God says no. I mean, this is, it, it, this is just such a wonderful thing, uh, how he says no. In verse 9 it says, And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel." and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and rest with your fathers, I will set up for you your seed after you who will come uh, from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from you, from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, according to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. Then, then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And so he, and he goes on to be uh, really, really uh, thankful to him. And so when God says no, oftentimes, not oftentimes, if not every time, he does it in such a merciful way, and often what he gives you back is so much better. He, basically, what he tells um, David here is, I'm not going to build you, uh, I mean, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. How about that? How would you like that? I'm going to build you a house. And, you know, let's not make the mistake uh, uh, that we, so often time when God says no, what do we do? Uh, you know, David could have yelled at the messenger here, Nathan, you know, get out of here, bring me a prophet who will tell me the right thing sort of deal. And and so oftentimes when, when we're like that, what winds up happening is that because of our anger at God saying no, we don't receive all, everything that God does want to give us. Because here it's very clear that the Lord does want to give David a lot, a lot. He wants to pour out really something much better. Because after all, what is a temple 
but, but a bunch of stones, you, you know what I mean, and cedar and, and, and that type of thing. And, and the temple is long, long gone. But guess what? What David got was something much, much better. He actually had the privilege of, of having a kingdom uh, established forever. Now, there's a very interesting verse here uh, where, you know, th- th- he's basically promising, uh, promising to him that the Messiah is going to come uh, through uh, his his descendants, it says in verse 16, in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. Uh, but verse 14 also is an interesting one. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And he's not talking about David here. He's talking about your descendant who will sit on the throne forever. It says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasing him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Now, that's not talking about Solomon. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I understand that the King James Version or the manuscripts that the King James um, that the King James comes from or the original translation, uh, it, the, the Hebrew scholars have looked at this and many of the modern translations, actually what they say with this uh, particular verse is, is not... It, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Um, if he commits iniquity, uh, rather it says, uh, this verse says, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. Actually, what it says is that uh, commit the iniquity will be laid on him, and I will chasten him with the rod of men, which is what happened with Jesus, which really makes sense here, right? Because this never happened to Solomon. This is talking, and it certainly, you know, it can't be said of Jesus if he commits iniquity. He's, that's, that's out of the question. He's not going to commit uh, iniquity. And so uh, uh, some of the, 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 the you know, recent uh, scholarship in Hebrew has, has uh, translated it like that, uh, that, that con- con- iniquity will be laid on him. And he will be chastened with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. Speaking, of course, um, of, of Jesus there. And so uh, he uh, is promised uh, a greater offspring. And in, in, in a real sense, uh, he's, he, he's, uh, we are part of what the promise here. It says, in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. And, and the church is, is a house of living stones. And which will last forever in heaven, and we're part of that. Uh, we're part of that uh, that house, that heritage. So God is content uh, to be in a tent close to His people, close to His people. He's perfectly content to be that. That's the re- reason that the tabernacle was made like it was in the first place. And and you know sometimes. Uh, with huge mega churches or huge cathedrals, and, and, and you know where where is God in all this? He's so far away, whatever. But but God's original intent is is to be uh, right with His people. Uh, now we do learn from First Chronicles twenty two that that David uh, was later told later in his life that uh, he was denied the privilege of building the house of God because it says that he shed much blood and made great wars. Now. There's two ways of interpreting that. One is that that David was really designed to do other things, uh, and Solomon was a man of creativity, and he was uh, more of a builder, and and so 
and David wasn't. David was a man of, of war. And the other uh, interpretation is that it disqualified him as, as sin of bloodshed. You know, sometimes sin does have consequences. Uh, if uh, a pastor falls into sin, uh, sometimes the consequences are is they need to stay out of ministry and they should, should never return. Now, I don't think it disqualifies him forever. Some do, and, and I can respect that. But many times I think it, it does, and it should disqualify him for good. And, you know, it's one of the, it just, it's all facts and circumstances. And a lot of times, you know, congregations can forgive uh, someone for doing that, but they can't receive anymore. And it's all about the sheep, right? It's not about the, the, the pastor or the shepherd. And if, if his sheep can't receive from him, what's the point? And so sometimes, uh, you know, sin, there will be consequences. I mean, David did some pretty raunchy things, particularly that last year before he came, became king when he was in the land of the Philistines. And he just went down and he was wiping out every man, woman, and, uh, and child in, in, in villages and then going back to the, a Philistine king and, tell him, and basically lying to him, uh, telling him that he, uh, he was attacking someone else. And so uh, uh, here you see, uh, though, that, uh, that, that nevertheless... God's content to be where he was there uh, in a tent. And, you know, it could very well be that the, the reason the temple was uh, eventually made was more for man than it was for God. Certainly God didn't need it. Uh, but maybe the Lord saw that need, that the people needed something better uh, in order to worship. And so in verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And, and yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant, servant's house for a great, great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord? In other words, why should a man ever get something like this? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great. O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for you self, for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For, for you have made your people Israel your own very your very own people forever and you lord have become their god now o lord god the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house establish it forever and do as you have said so let your name be magnified forever saying the lord of hosts is the god over israel and let the house of your servant david be established before you for you o lord of hosts God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, has spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So, he, so here you see... Uh, David receiving what the Lord had promised. Sometimes, 
you know, people get this sort of hyper-spiritual false sense of humility. Oh, no, no, you don't, I, I, I don't deserve all that, Lord. And, 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 but th that's not a spiritual thing to do. Verse 28 says, uh, And now, O Lord, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant. In other words, he's saying, let it come on, you know, bring it on, Lord, uh, all that you've promised. And so uh, David did, uh, when he heard that no from the Lord, he sat before the Lord never, and nevertheless received uh, what the Lord had to give him. Uh, he acknowledged that God had had the sovereign right to tell him no, and he received the blessing that God wanted to give him. And so uh, uh, that's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful example of, of a heart, a man after God's own heart, and, and the fact that sometimes a no from, from God is, is the best thing that could have ever happened to us. And, uh, and we see that uh, from this teaching. Okay. Well, uh, what we'll do now is in 10 minutes, if you'd like to pray, you can come back. Let's pray about the missions trip, uh, the folks that are going on the missions trip next week to New Orleans. Let's also pray. We're continuing the follow-up in the projects uh, with the, uh, the uh, Vacation Bible School that, that we did uh, a few weeks back. Let's pray for that. And then as well, if anyone needs prayer uh, as well, you can share that. But if you need to go now, God bless you, and we will see you next week. Okay, you are dismissed.